we're uh, in Mark chapter 12. Jesus Christ is in the last week of his earthly life. He's heading toward the cross and he's been in the temple and he's been teaching there and the religious leaders have been asking him trick questions. The scribes and the Pharisees are trying to trap him so that they can have a reason uh, to do away with him and have him executed. And over uh, the, well, it's many months ago now, uh, we have been looking at some of those questions. Not all of them, because our focus in Mark is the gospel. So we're not going through all uh, the verses uh, in uh, the gospel of Mark. So they've had their opportunity. They've asked their questions. And now, the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to see the dynamic here. He turns to them and says, now I've got a question that I want to ask you. And in um, Matthew's accounts, which is a bit fuller, uh, you've got the question that he asks them. Uh, Mark hints at it, uh, but uh, if I can quote uh, from Matthew 22, the question is, and this is the most important question any of us can ask, what think ye of Christ? Uh, let's, it's so important, I'm not going to rely on my memory. Matthew 22. Verse 42. What do you think about the Christ? And then, of course, in Mark, you've got what Jesus goes on to say, whose son is he? So, the most important question we can ask ourselves. Uh, now, I know uh, we've heard about our young people going to university. You have to choose uh, where to study. Now, that's an important question. Um, it was very easy for many of us. Aberystwyth, there's no better place. <laughs> but that question isn't as important as the question this morning. Over the last few years, we've had a number of our older young people get married. And that's an important question. Who do I marry? Very important. But in comparison to the question, what think ye of Christ? Sorry, it's not that important. Uh, maybe uh, with what's been happening in lockdown, uh, some of you have to face an uncertain future regarding work. And you're asking a very important question, what am I going to do now? That, that is important and it may give you sleepless nights. But you know what? There's something even more important to worry about. What do I think of Jesus Christ. Now it's interesting, uh, as we've been looking at the different questions the religious leaders have been asking Jesus Christ, they have been the hot potato, do they still say that, hot potato, uh, the controversial subjects of the day. And what amazes me is the things that were controversial in Jesus' day are still 
just as controversial today. So things like the relationship between the church and the states, that's controversial today, isn't it? Especially with what's going on in America and Trump. And I'm not telling you where my loyalties lie. It's a controversial question. But Jesus isn't interested in the relationship between church and state. Taxes to Caesar, taxes to God. Uh, The whole question of the second coming of Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians get really worked up about the second coming and charts and trying to interpret events in terms of is Christ going to come back in a certain way. That's not important. The second coming is important, but all those other things. And then there are other people, uh, like we looked at last time, they're obsessed about all these other rules. Ethics, Christian ethics. But the most important ethic is what is Christ to you and to me. Now, if we put the account in Mark and the account in Matthew together, my first point is this, incidentally, the most important question you can ask. (laughs) If we put the accounts together, let me just refer you to the verse in Mark. What was the response of the religious leaders? Verse 34, the end of the verse. After that, no one dared question him. In the account in Matthew, it says they were all silenced after Jesus had asked the question. So I think both are right. The the religious leaders were gobsmacked, if I can put it like that, by this question. What think you of Christ? It silenced them. Now, why is that? Why have they been silenced? For this reason. When it comes to all the other questions, even with Aberystwyth as an university choice, it's all right to have different views, right? (laughs) When it comes to church and state, you can have different views. When it comes to the second coming of Christ. There are different views. When it comes to ethics, I'm not talking about God's word now, but when it comes to how we apply God's word into situations, there are different views. But there's only one view when it comes to the question, what do you think of Christ? Either you are right or you're wrong. And if you're wrong... It's scary because it affects where you're going to in terms of eternity. Um, Did Mr. Hyam use this as an illustration? I think those of you uh, who were here in his ministry will uh, be able to um, elaborate on it. But uh, when I was in school, when we had to draw compasses, um, circles, we used compasses with uh, a point. And you put your pencil in uh, the the compass and then you had the sharp points on the other side and then you open it up depending on how big the circle was and you'd put the sharp points on the piece of paper and then you would be able to draw the circle now if the center isn't right 
Everything else in that circle is out of sync. The center has got to be right. And what Jesus is saying here is this. If Christ isn't the center, if we've got a wrong view of Christ, everything else in our life is going to be out of sync. So it doesn't matter if we have the best possible understanding of church and state. It doesn't matter uh, whether we know all the views of the second coming. It doesn't matter how detailed our ethics are. If Christ isn't at the centre, it's all gone to parts. What do you think of Christ? That's the raison d'etre of Christianity. That's what brings us together. What I love about our church is we have so many different views on all sorts of other things. Praise God. But when it comes to Christ, there's only one view the most important question we can ask. And they've been silenced because they're wrong on Christ. As a preacher, this scares me. It is possible to be a minister, to have the best training in the world, to know your Bible inside out, to be able to read it in the original in Hebrew and Greek, to have the best theology in the world and still not know Christ. There's a poem I found by Richard Crashaw. don't know who he was, about them not being able to answer anymore. And this is how he puts it. It's in E Old English. Neither durst any man from that day ask him any more questions. T'was time to hold their peace when they had ne'er another word to say. Yet their silence unto thee, the full sound of thy victory, their silence towards Christ is the full sound of his victory over them. By asking them the important question, he's going to win. He's been able to answer all their hobby horse questions. They haven't been able to trick him. Now he's able to say, look here, what do you think of Christ? And they're speechless. They're speechless. Isn't that the experience of everybody who becomes a Christian. I know it happens in different ways. We've all been converted in different ways. If you haven't been converted, this is what's really got to happen to you. Uh, let me just give you an example. Uh, Paul, he puts it like this. It's very graphic language. He uses in Romans 3. And Romans is the best uh, description and explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And before he comes to the good news... He goes through the bad news. We've got to see why we need a saviour, why Jesus Christ is so important. And he puts it like this. Uh, I'll just read verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. And then he goes through a list of Old Testament verses. And then it says, verse 19 of Romans 3. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and this is it, that every mouth may be stopped. We're silenced. And the whole world 
lies guilty before God. And we had a preacher, Morris Morris, come and speak to us in the Welsh Christian Union. It had to be a Welshman with that name, Morris Morris. And he would be asking us afterwards, how's your soul? He, he wouldn't bother with, um, how are you? <laughs> how's your soul? And I can remember him asking a student at the Presbyterian College in Aberystwyth who was with us, a man training for the ministry, he asked him, how's your soul? And this poor boy was flummoxed. He didn't have an answer. He was silenced. How's your soul? How's my soul? As I was saying to the children, am I right with God? Am I ready to die? Am I knowing where I'm headed after death? How's your soul? One of the most frightening things that happened to me once after preaching, it was when I was a student in London. I was given some liberty, some freedom to preach this gospel. And somebody came up to me at the end and I thought they were going to ask me, how can I believe? How, how can I say it is well with my soul? I thought they were going to ask me that, you know. And you know what they asked me? What's your view on baptism? I, I was so deflated. The most important question. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the preachers most used of God in the last century. This is how he said uh, this. You are not a Christian unless you have been made speechless. How do you know whether you are a Christian or not? It is that you stop talking. The trouble with a non-Christian and religious people is that they go on talking. People need to have their mouths shut. They are forever talking about God and criticizing God and pontificating about what God should or should not do. You do not begin to be a Christian until your mouth is shut and is stopped and you are speechless and have nothing to say. And isn't there too much talk in the evangelical church? Isn't there a babble of voices, different opinions on this and that? Once we come face to face with Christ, what think ye of Christ? Our mouths are stopped like Job, we say. I've heard of thee by hearing of the ear, but now that I've seen thee, I repent in dust and ashes. We're speechless. Do you know what we call that? We call that conviction of sin. And to a greater or lesser degree, if you become a Christian, you go through that. In different ways, we are basically stopped. And we say, mia culpa. I'm the one to blame. I need to be saved. I've got to hurry on to the next point. I've only got two points. Don't worry. The most important question, what do you think of Christ? Because it has to do with my soul, not the body that's going to die one day, but my soul, my spirit is going to last forever. And my soul is either going to eternal condemnation, hell, or eternal bliss, heaven. And it's only Christ that can take me to heaven. That's why it's the most important question. My second point is, well, the most important answer then. What's the answer? What's the answer? 
I heard of a church many years ago, and people were really praising the preacher. And they, they, they were really saying wonderful things about him, and people were leaving the meeting saying, what a wonderful sermon. And somebody said, well, why was that a wonderful sermon? And what did he preach on that was so wonderful? And the people would say, well, he's so amazing. You can't understand what he's saying. It's such a wonderful message. Well, that's no good, is it? <laughs> if the most important question is what I think of Christ, then I must know the answer and I must have a clear, simple answer. Now, what Jesus does here is quite strange because he gives a riddle. He gives a riddle. So look at the verse. Verse 35 in Mark. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, that's Psalm 110, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Dear me. Can I try and put that in my own words? Jesus is saying to these religious people, you claim that the Messiah, who is going to come, that's what you say, he is the son of David, the king. He's of the lineage of David. He belongs to the family of David. How then does David say in one of his psalms, the Lord said to my Lord. Why is David calling somebody who's going to be of his lineage Lord? Can you understand the riddle? Um, it would be like um, you were parents, right? Calling you Lord. Maybe you'd like that. But it doesn't make sense, does it? It's a riddle. And you know what? The answer to that riddle is the most important answer in the whole universe because it's to do with who Christ is and why he came. And I've got to give you that answer in a very short time. So let's just, as clearly as I can, uh, answer that question. The Messiah who's come, he's not going to come, he's come. He is a man. He is of the line of David. In uh, the start of the Gospel of Matthew, you can trace his family tree to David. He's a real man, right? No freak. Jesus Christ was a real human being. With all the problems that you and I have, bar sin, he didn't commit sin. But for David to call somebody who would come through his lineage, Lord, it would mean that that person had to be God as well, yeah? Do you get it? Jesus Christ is unique. Our view of Jesus Christ is the most important thing in the world because he's not just a man. He's God. The God-man. Uh, a better translation for Jehovah Yahweh Lord he's God uh, Paul at the start of Romans says of the gospel listen to this the gospel of his son 
Son of the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David. He's a man, born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Isn't that amazing? He's both God and man, one person. He's not kind of psychologically divided. Wonders. I worship him. Do you? I haven't been up a mountain since this time last year. When I'm going to go up a mountain next, I'm going to remind myself, this is my father's handiwork. And even though I love climbing mountains, I love the one who made it even more. That's Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, this is a very famous quote. For Jesus Christ to say he's God, he's either, do you know this quote? He's either mad, bad, lying, or as they say in North America, God. He's either mad, bad, or God. God. And if he's God, there's only one response. Silence. What says where reason fails with all her powers, their faith prevails and love adores. Jesus didn't give this riddle, but he's heading toward it. Let me give it to you. This is the riddle of riddles. If Jesus Christ is God, perfect Son of God, why in a few days' time was he condemned to die as the worst criminal? Why was he executed? They couldn't find fault with him. They even had to bring up false witnesses to get him falsely accused. Why then did he end up on a Roman cross? with two men on each side who were felons, who'd done the worst of things. Why was Jesus Christ with them? They deserved it. But what did he do wrong? This is the answer to the riddle. He was hanging on that cross, the Son of God, because he was being punished, not by the Romans, but by God his Father. And this is the riddle. Not for anything he had done, because he'd never done wrong, but for what you and I have done. I think that's the greatest riddle in the universe. And when you see the answer to that, you are converted. Uh, even Spurgeon, uh, who was really knowledgeable of the Puritans as a young boy, he still couldn't find the answer to the question, how can God, who is holy and just, still be just in forgiving me? The answer to that riddle is if he punishes my sin on another so that he can forgive me and still be just. Do you see? Do you see? I, I just want to quote some hymns here. This is the riddle. This is the answer that Wesley saw. Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design and then what's the answer tis mercy all immense and free for thou my god shouldst die for me
What, what's an answer? Through his death, I live, I live. Uh, that's a hymn. When you were in the Presbyterian Church, some of you were in the Presbyterian Church, you used to recite uh, the creeds, didn't you? Listen to this. This is, this is a Sunday dinner for your soul, right? This isn't a fast food meal. This is a proper roast for the soul. I believe. What think ye of Christ? Let me tell you what I think. Do you know what I'm doing in this pulpit? I'm not trying to defend Christ. I'm not trying to kind of be a, an apologist for Christianity. I'm here to bear witness to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've got an answer to give. I want you to be able to give it as well. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, which means he's 100% God, light of lights, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made, who for us men, and this is wonderful, and for our salvation, to be saved, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and on the third day he rose again and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father so that David is able to say, the Lord said to my Lord, sits at my right hand. O oh, wonder of all wonders, that through thy death for me, my open sins, my secret sins, can all forgive thy be. Isn't it good being back here and telling each other of Jesus Christ? Isn't it, isn't it food for the soul? Uh, I can't get excited about church and state. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't get excited about charts and the second coming. I can't get excited about ethics, but I can get excited about Jesus Christ. I, I want to close on this. The important thing here is not what does the person sitting next to you think of Christ. You know, when it's a gospel service, we want to invite non-Christians, and maybe that's you this morning, to hear the gospel. And that's excellent. And we think, what are they going to say? But Jesus is saying, what do you think? What do you personally think of Jesus Christ? Is he your savior? No other hope. Uh, this is another poem I found. If Christ is not divine, then lay the book, the Bible away. Throw your Bibles out. And every blessed faith resign that has long been yours and mine. Through many a trying day, forget the place of bended knee and dream no more of worlds to come. If Christ is not divine, go, seal again the tomb, take down the cross, redemption's sign. Quench all the stars of hope that shine and let us turn and travel on across the night that knows no dawn. If Christ is not God and if he hasn't died 
for our sins. And if he hasn't risen again, it's all in vain, isn't it? But praise be to God, he's real. He's real. I, I am a man under authority because we have to finish, but I must, uh, I honestly can't leave the passage without mentioning about a pastor who wasn't saved. His name was William Haslam. And he was convicted of his sin. And he didn't know what to do. How can I go to church and preach if I'm not saved? So this is what he did. One day, one Sunday, the, sh- the sun was shining brightly. And before I could make up my mind to put off the service, the bell struck out a merry peal. He was an Anglican curate, you see. So he heard the church bell summoning him. So he went and he thought, I'll just go to church and read the morning prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. And he read that. And then, oh, we'll just sing a psalm and a hymn. And he found the psalm and the hymn was speaking to me. And then he thought, I'll just read out from one of the Gospels. I won't say anything, I'll just read out. And the verse was, what think ye of Christ? The verse we're considering. And then he thought, I'll just say a few words about it. What think ye of Christ? As I went on to explain the passage, I saw that the Pharisees and scribes did not know that Christ was the Son of God or that he was come to save them. They were looking for a king, the Son of David, to reign over them as they were. Something was telling me all the time, you are no better than the Pharisees yourself. You do not believe that he's the Son of God and that he's come to save you any more than they did. I do not remember all I said, but I felt a wonderful light and joy coming into my soul. And I was beginning to see what the Pharisees did not. He sees the answer to the riddle. Whether it was something in my words or my manner or my look, I know not. But all of a sudden, a local preacher who happened to be in the congregation stood up. This is in the middle of the sermon. He stood up and putting up his arms, he shouted out in the Cornish manner. I like that, the Cornish manner. The parson is converted. The parson is converted. Hallelujah. And in another moment, his voice was lost in the shouts and praises of three or four hundred of the congregation. And instead of rebuking this extraordinary bawling, as I should have done, I joined in the outburst of praise. <laughs> well, we, we can't shout out, can we? We can't even sing out, rightly so. But can you say... I'm converted. Hallelujah. Can you say that? I'm converted. And may this church be a place where people find the answer, not to all sorts of esoteric questions, but to the one question which we all have to ask, because our eternal destiny depends on it. What think? Not the person sitting next to you. What think you? What think I of Jesus Christ? I know not why God's wondrous grace to me has been made known. There's so many things I don't know, but I know whom I have believed. Do you? Praise God if you do. And if you don't, why not this morning?
cast yourself on Jesus Christ.